great. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. I thank you that it is a day that you have made. I thank you that therefore we can rejoice and be glad in it. And so, Lord, we pray right now as we hear from your, uh, your word, as we focus on uh, the words of the Apostles' Creed, and we, and we then look at how that relates to Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts today. Lord, that you would strengthen us and encourage us in you. You'd help us to lay firm foundations in our lives. And I pray you'd help me uh, to now be able to cut through this morning and be able to speak what you've put on my heart. Amen. Cool. So we, as I've just said, we are going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed for the next seven weeks. And uh, we want to do this for a few reasons. So the first reason we want to do this is we want to help you as a Christian lay solid foundations in your life. Because we live in a world with so many different um, so many different truths to it, so many different kind of uh, ways that people want to kind of promote truth. And so you, this is what we call subjectivism, so relativism. So the idea that you can have a truth and somebody else can have another truth. It can be then difficult to define what it is you should and shouldn't believe on anything. And the Apostles' Creed gives us some firm foundations. And we want not only to go through the Apostles' Creed as a series, but our hope, and my hope, is that by the end of this series that you could memorise the Apostles' Creed. Okay, so that's, that's another little challenge for you as a way of helping you to lay firm foundations in your life. So what is the Apostles' Creed? Well, the Apostles' Creed is a, a, a set of beliefs. A creed means, uh, it really does actually mean I believe. It's a set of statements on a subject. And so Christians have, have worked with creeds for since, since even Paul uses sort of uh, what would be determined as, as creeds in his own writing in Scripture. And there's ways of memorising key ideas around scriptural subjects. And so the Apostles' Creed is one of the earliest creeds, um, and it was a way of bringing Christians together around a core set of doctrines to sort of kind of say, look, here's all the, here's all the things that you and I can agree on. Okay, so we might not agree on X, Y, Z, but we can agree on A, B, and C. Here are the things that we can agree on. And the Apostles' Creed is one of the shorter and earliest forms of creeds, and it is still accepted today by the majority of the church worldwide as being um, what we believe in. The, the Eastern Orthodox Church are the only people who wouldn't agree to the Apostles' Creed, and I'm not going to go into that this morning with you in because I haven't got time to do it. But the creed is an, it enables us to be able to come together and agree on some things. Now, um, there are other creeds that were written after the Apostles' Creed, so let me give you an example, the Nicene Creed. And last term I spoke about Arius, and Arius was a, 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 got labelled a heretic. And so Arius was trying to teach people that Jesus was a similar substance to God, but not the same substance as God's. And so what happened was that there was another creed that was written called the Nicene Creed in 325 AD. And that creed was written, and in that creed there is a, a, a line, I'm going to paraphrase slightly because I'm going to take the Christmas carol, but very God, begotten, not created, got added into this creed. And that got added into this creed as a way of refuting what Arius was teaching. It's kind of saying, no, we don't believe this, Arius, we believe that Jesus is very God, begotten, not created. He is the same substance as God. Does that make sense? So we have creeds that were written not only just to affirm faith, but to refute error as well. And I'm, I'm constantly aware, um, because I know that I do it all the time, I'm constantly aware, even all the things that I've already said this morning to you, you could go on your phone right now as I'm speaking and be checking off, fact-checking what I say. Or you could be on your phone looking for answers to questions. Because unlike, even when I was, when I was younger, now I, I'm 39 this year, believe it or not, I know I look so youthful. Um, 
Why are you all laughing at that? Okay, you know, it's awful now when I watch myself back preaching and I bend down and I realise how little hair I've got on the top of my head. But um, I realised that even when I was at school, the way that we would find information is we'd go to the library and we would go and look in books and we would find the information we wanted in books. And I didn't have the answer to the question straight away. I had to go and find it. Now, if you've got a question, you just type it in on your phone, don't you? And it comes up with an answer. But I suppose my concern for you is that is the answers to the question you're finding the right answers? Because not everything you read on the internet is true, believe it or not. Not everything you watch on YouTube is true. Some people are laughing, like, oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Let me give you an example. So, you, believe it or not, I actually quite like basketball. I can't play it because I'm too short. Um, but... I quite like basketball. I, I, I watch, uh, I like the NBA and I support the Boston Celtics. Now, a, a few years ago, uh, one of their players, who's now at the, the Brooklyn Nets, called Kyrie Irving, um, came out as being a flat earther. So he'd, it, he, he said this in an interview that he believed that the earth was flat and not round. Um, because, and they asked, he got quizzed why that was, and he said, well, I saw it on YouTube. Like, like as if that was kind of, that was, as if that was, well, because it's on YouTube, therefore it must be true. Because everything you, obviously everything you watch or read must be true because you found it on the internet. And that's a real, there's a real danger to that. There's a real danger to that way of thinking. Now, I'm not going to debate whether the earth is flat or not today. That's not why I'm here. Okay, but it's important that we recognise where do we find our sources for truth? Where do you find it? Is it, is it just in, on the internet or online? Where, where are you looking? So that's the first thing. And secondly, I think the other thing about the reason why we're doing the Apostles' Creed this term is that we recognise, as a leadership, that we come from a variety of church backgrounds. And I think this is one of our biggest strengths as a church community and also one of our biggest challenges. So we have people in our church who used to be Baptists. We have people in our church who used to be Pentecostals and still are Pentecostals in that regard, but used to go to a Pentecostal church. We have people in our church who used to be Anglicans and are now worshipping with us. And we have people in a church like myself who are none of them. If you ask Richard, Richard's been in most of those denominations at one point or another, haven't you, I think? Um, so, it, look, we have people from a variety of different theological backgrounds. Now, that's a really great strength, because we can demonstrate something of the heart of God for unity and diversity in the body. But also, it presents a challenge to us as well. Because the challenge it presents to us is, um, what, what, what are our beliefs then? What do we believe on certain things? And I think the Apostles' Creed enables us to coalesce, to come together and say, this is what we affirm as a church community. A writer called Gavin Ortland wrote a book called Hills Worth Dying On. I think it's something along that line. And he says that there are things of primary importance, secondary importance, and tertiary importance in the Christian faith. The Apostles' Creed is what is primarily important. Because there are some things that are of secondary or tertiary importance. There's another writer, a guy called Keith Drury, he wrote a blog post about 15 years ago, and he wrote it in a way that's probably a little bit easier to understand than what I just said. And he said, there are some things that are written in blood, and there are some things that are written in pen or pencil. Let me explain what I mean. So there are certain things in, in our faith that are in it, written in pencil. So the way that we do church governance here, the way that we lead, and the way that our structure works, is different from our Baptist friends down the road. One member, one vote isn't how we do church governance here. Equally, it's different from the way that our friends in the Pentecostal churches do church governance as well. We do it differently. I would say that's kind of like a pencil issue for me. You know, you go from one church to another church, those things change, but the word of God remains the same. It's not, it's not fundamental to faith. 
There are other things that I would say are pen issues for us, things that we would go, no, we're pretty sure of this. So baptism would be a really good example of that. We believe in believer's baptism, that you must uh, come to faith in Christ and be baptised. Okay, because that's what we believe that we see in the New Testament exhibited. And baptism isn't by sprinkling of water on the head, it's by full immersion in water. We teach that as a church and we affirm that as a church. However, our Anglican friends are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't believe that. Okay, so we have, a, we have a difference of belief, not with all of the Anglican church. Some people don't believe that in the Anglican church. And I would say that that is a pen issue. It's very important to us. But it's not a hill for me worth dying on if I'm going to then have relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I know one day I'm going to be worshipping with them before Jesus. We just have a theological difference on something. Does that make sense? Yeah, so we affirm that. That's something we confidently affirm and assert. But at the same time, also, we recognise that there are others who see differently. But yet there are some issues. Some issues that are so important and fundamental that if you do not believe them... I would question whether you are even a Christian at all. That's how serious it is. And these issues, Keith Drury says, are issues that are written in blood. If you change them, you are changing the Christian faith itself. Yeah? So, without any further ado, what I would like you to do with me is we're going to read the Apostles' Creed together. Because these are the things that we believe that are written in blood, that are of primary importance. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read it together every single week through this series. And by the last week, my challenge to you is not look at the screen when we read it, okay? Let's try and get to a point where we can memorize it. Because as the New Testament says, we all need to have an answer for the hope to which we are called. Okay, so let's use this as part of our answer. So can we read it together? Is that all right? Great, so do you want to stand with me? I'm hoping they're going to put up on the screen. Because I still can't remember it all yet either, so I might have to turn around um, unless they put it around. Okay, cool. I believe, let's all do it together, in God, the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right, do you want to sit? We can be confident of the things in the creed. We can be confident of them. Now, the, the creed isn't scripture, but it references a lot of scripture in it. Okay? It's not scripture. It doesn't have the, whole, the same scriptural weight as the Bible itself, but everything in it we affirm from scripture. Okay? So just to understand that as well, that's really important. And so what I want to do this morning uh, in the time I've got left is I just want to talk to you about that first line. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. I believe in God the Father is how this set of words starts. I believe that God is a father. That's what this creed starts with. So why is that important? Why is that a fundamentally important thing? Let me just check the time. Why is it important, a fundamentally important thing, that God is a father? Well, it's fundamentally important because God reveals himself in this way in his word to us. 
God reveals himself as a father. He chooses that analogy for who he is. You get to choose God as a father and see God identifying as a father in scripture. Why does he do that? Why does God identify as a father? Because he comes in lots of different forms in the Old Testament. For example, he, it, when he reveals himself to Moses, he comes in a burning bush, doesn't he? He reveals himself at the top of a mountain through wind and fire and rain and all those kinds of things. But yet, actually, the, the image that we see time and time again through Scripture is God revealing himself as a father. Why is that? Well, God wants to demonstrate something about his character to you. He wants to demonstrate something about his character to you. See, he's not a distant God. He's not, some, he's not a creator who is not interested in his creation. I don't know whether you've seen, they've just started to, um, they've now got ready to do the James Webb telescope and it's, it's uh, getting ready to beam back images from the edge of space. It's not like God is beyond time and space and he's just looking into his creation, not really that interested about what he's made. The image that we get in scripture isn't that God's like that at all. It's actually that he's an intimate God, that he's a, he wants to be a father to his creation and a father to you and I as his children. It's an intimate image. This idea that God is a father is an intimate one. He wants to guide his people. He wants to protect them. He wants to lead them. He wants to nurture them. He wants to bring them to maturity. The same way that if you've got children, you'd want the same for your children or your parents would want the same for you. God reveals himself as a father. Now, if you really want to know what that looks like, you need to look at Jesus. Because Jesus says in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So if you want to understand what the father's love is like, you just need to look at the love of Christ and the life of Christ and see how Jesus responds to people and loves people. Then you will start to understand the father's love. This is a difficult thing for some of us when I talk about Jesus being, sorry, God being a father. Because we, and I said this on Father's Day last year, but for some of us, the, the whole idea of fathers is something difficult for us. Because either we didn't have a dad, or the dad we had wasn't a good one. And, and so we talk about God being a father, and some of you might not even want to call God a father. Because it, it brings up images in you of, of, um, of your own dad. But what I just want to say to you is that God has chosen to reveal himself as a father. Therefore, you, sounding harsh for a second, need to almost move past that in order to see God for who he is. Because God reveals himself not just as a father, but as the perfect father. As the one who is better than any earthly father. As the one who is without fault or failing. So our fathers fail us, but God doesn't ever fail us as our father. We can be confident in his love for us, in his guidance of us, in his protection over us. Now, if you, uh, in our culture, you might say, well, it's a bit sexist that God would, would be a father. Why not a mother, too? Is there a divine mother? In the Old Testament, do you know what, actually, there was, um, there was a goddess called Asherah, and some Israelites tried to argue that she was married to Yahweh. That's, that's what they actually believe. It's total nonsense. And God actually says, no, 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 don't be, don't be stupid. I mean, Isaiah writes this, doesn't he? God is, God is not made from stone. But, but you get this kind of image that, that there's always been this question, what about a mother? Well, actually, God, you see, God is not a man. So God is revealing himself as a father, but he's much more than that. Jesus, the man, God is now in heaven, but God the father in that way isn't, isn't male in that way, but he reveals himself as a man to us, as a father to us. Why? Why is that important? 
Because we do see him revealed as a mother. If you read Isaiah, he talks about him gathering together um, his family like a mother. Why is it important that he reveals himself as a mother? Well, I think there's something to do with inheritance. I think it's to do with inheritance. You see, in a biblical context, in the biblical worldview, but also culturally around the world even now, it is through the father that the inheritance is given. So I think it's important that we understand God's fathering to us because, A, he wants to, he's revealed himself as a father to us. He wants to guide us, protect us, and care for us. But also he wants us to understand something about our, our identity in him, that we have an inheritance in him because he is our father, that he has got something revealed to us and we, are, we have an inheritance in him. He wants to give us something and bestow something on us. As a father would, both culturally in that context, but also today in many cultures, a father would bestow an inheritance on their children. God the Father wants to bestow an inheritance upon you as his child. You see, you are a son or a daughter of God. Paul writes this in in, in Ephesians uh, 1 verse 4, that we've been adopted as God's children. You've been adopted as God's child. He has brought you into his kingdom. He has adopted you as his son or daughter. And Paul writes in Romans 8 that you have now been made co-heirs with Christ. You've been made a co-heir with Christ. You're not just like Christ, you. God has made you a co-heir with Christ. That's pretty phenomenal when you start to think about it. God the Father has made you a co-heir with Jesus to the inheritance that he has for you. And we need to start living in that and walking into that and being confident in that. Now, um, for the last three and a half years, uh, our son Jude has, has not slept well at all. He is not a good sleeper. I thought, I've mentioned this more than once. He's a dreadful sleeper. Um, and we came to the conclusion, we tried everything, so I don't need any suggestions on that, by the way. Um, I'm, I've said this before, I'm a light sleeper, Claire's a heavy sleeper, I'm the one who wakes up at night. And so for about two years, I, I just lived off the basis of having two or three hours uh, like proper sleep at night and then being woken up. I'd end up asleep on the floor in his room or on a beanbag or on a mattress, and that would be, just be my normal everyday life for the last kind of two years or so. And, and then just before Christmas on Black Friday, um, somebody had suggested to us, what about getting a two-way monitor? And I thought, well, Black Friday would be a good time to look at it. So... I was like trying to find a video monitor that was two-way, and I realized that we could get those Alexa things, the, the video Alexas. Um, that sounds like I'm doing some promotion now for Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I don't mind paying for his trips to space. Um, so <laughs> anyway, so we bought these video monitors because we realized what the problem was. The problem was that Jude was waking up at night and just wanted to know that we were there. He just wanted to see that we were there because he is fearful of us not being there. And so... Now we've got this thing, and it works, and I'm sleeping at night, praise the Lord, and I don't have to get out of bed. Thank you, Jesus, for Jeff. Um, The thing is about this is that I've come to realize something as well, is that we can be like this with God. We can go, God, are you there? God, are you there? God, are you there? And God isn't like me. He doesn't have to be woken up at night. God doesn't have to be woken up. You you don't have to stir God to to, to get him to answer God is always there. You don't have just like an, an Alexa um, a show uh, connection to him. You have the ultimate connection to him. He's placed his spirit inside of you. 
You have an ultimate connection with Father God in that Jesus has torn the curtain into the temple of the Holy of Holies and we can walk into Father God's presence. You have an ultimate connection with Father God because he has revealed himself to us in Christ. We have an ultimate connection to God's. It's not like me with the Alexa show. You see, I'm a failed dad in many ways. If you're a dad in the room, you, you, you aren't perfect. Okay, Believe me, you're not perfect. But God is perfect. You see, we're not like, we, we are not like him. But we can know more of God as we start to think about how our own parenting works and how our children see. We can learn more about Father God through that way. So you have a connection to God. But there's something more than that as I've just, I, I, I kind of round things down. There's something more than that. You see, this line doesn't just talk about God being the Father. It talks about him being God the Father Almighty. God is not just a God who's just there and available for you. He's not just a Father who's available for you the way a human would be available for you. He's a father who can change anything for you. He's a father who stepped into creation, not only stepped into creation uh, through his son, but he's the father who created creation its very self. And he created it out of nothing. So this is something we affirm in the creed, that we believe in a creator. That we believe that the heavens and the earth were made by a creator. Ex nihilo, that means out of nothing. Now you and I might differ about how he went about that, but the fundamental element remains. We need to believe that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Why is it, these two things, you need to understand, are linked together, though. The Father, the creator. The Father is the creator. And we need to not forget that when we go to God. Because sometimes what we do is we go to God as the creator, or we go to God as the Father. But as we go to God and we say, God, would you, would you come and uh, look, God, you know, you plead for God into a situation in your life or over our church family, we're going to our Father, the Creator. We're not just going to the Creator, we're going to our Father, the Creator. We're not just going to a Father who can't act, we're going to the Creator who is our Father. And we're saying, our Father, would, you, would your kingdom come, as Jesus says in Matthew 6. We're going to our Father and we're saying, our Father, would you do this? And we know that as we do that, we're going to the creator of the heavens and the earth. We need to have confidence when we come to pray. We need to have confidence when we come to worship that we're not just coming to a distant God who's at the edge of the universe, not interested, but we're coming to a God who calls our sons and daughters. We're coming to a God who wants to be our Father. We need to have confidence when we come and address him. Now, there's another image in the Bible. It comes up in Revelation 4. and It talks about John the, John the Baptist, John, sorry, John, the Apostle John goes to, has this vision of heaven. And in heaven he sees God on the throne, and in front of the throne is a sea of glass. You remember this image, the sea of glass? Now, the seas are an interesting image in the, in the Bible. Often in the Old Testament, the seas are used as a description of the chaotic forces that exist within the world. They're also seen as, as a source of evil. So Leviathan, the great monster of the sea, often gets kind of depicted almost like Satan. In Revelation, you have an image of God seated on a throne and before him is a sea. But this sea is not chaotic. This sea isn't moving. This sea is glass. It has been not only stilled... It has been completely subdued to the point where in which it is glass. God has all authority and all power over all things. He has authority and power to not only calm storms, as Jesus, we see Jesus doing in Luke. You see him calming the storm. He not only has power just to split the seas, as we see him doing in Exodus. He has power over the seas of this world to make them stop completely. 
Now you can have confidence and power that if he can do that to nature, he can do that to the things in your life that are causing you uh, trouble. He can do that to the things in your life that are causing you to fear. He has all authority over evil. He has all authority over life, death, and everything in between. He has authority over it. See, the God who's seated on the throne is the God who's seated before a sea of glass. And as you come to him in worship and prayer, you need to remind yourself that he has control. He's got control. And you need to come to him and trust him with your life and say, I'm going to trust you, God, with everything that I have. Because I know that you are in control of it, all, all of it. This sea of glass reminds us that God is in control. And he's not a distant God in control. He's your father that's in control. He's your father who loves you, who wants relationship with you, who wants to, to talk to you day or night. He doesn't mind you waking him up because he doesn't sleep. He doesn't mind when you come to him with your requests. Sometimes the answer's going to be no because it's not good for you. But he doesn't mind coming to you with your requests. He wants you to. In fact, Jesus paints the picture in Luke 18 of the persistent widow who keeps coming to the, just, the unjust judge. And Jesus said, God is a just judge. He wants you to come to him. God the Father longs for you to come and talk to him, longs for you to build a relationship with him, and longs for you to walk into his inheritance for you as a son or daughter of the living God. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to finish there, and we're going to worship for, um, for 10 minutes. But as we do that, let's just stand, shall we? Let me pray for you. Lord, we, um, we've experienced a bit of a chaotic morning today. But God, I thank you that you're the, the God who stills creation itself. God, I thank you that you're the God who made it, can still it, can calm it, can stop it. God, I thank you that you have all authority over creation, over nature, over all the powers and principalities. Jesus, I thank you that they've been subjected and placed under your feet. And God, I thank you that we don't just call you God, we call you Father. We call you Father. Just let that resonate in you now, if you're in this room or you're watching online at home. You can call God Father. More so, Paul says you can call him Abba. That's not the Swedish band. That means Daddy or Papa. You can call him intimately Father. Father. Just be confident in that, that he calls you into a relationship with him where you can call him Father. And so, Lord, we pray today, I pray for this week, God, as we carry on in our 21 days of prayer and fasting, Lord, that there would be intimate connections formed with people in our church family, with you, Lord God, our Father, that they would know you as their Father, that there would be confidence to worship you, to pray to you as Father God. And Father, I pray that as you do that, I pray continue to remind us of our identity in you. Amen. Amen. We're going to worship and we'll take up our offering as we, as we do that now.